This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. As political journalists, it is easy to get wrapped up in the story of the day. Elections, court decisions, wars, strikes, retirements, deaths. This year has had its fair share of big news, and it also has the feel of being a transitional time. Just in the last few days, former First Lady Rosalind Carter, former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, and former Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor all died. But what news events will endure and mark this year as unique? 50 years ago, in 1973, we had Watergate, Roe versus Wade, the end of the Vietnam War, and others. When we consider what happened this year, there are a few things that have the potential to stick out and continue to influence historians and their view of this time. And what better person to discuss this with than Nathan Gonzalez, our elections analyst here at Roll Call uh, and the editor and publisher of Inside Elections, Nathan Welcome back to Political Theater. Thank you. And, and resident Henry Kissinger expert. <laughs> yes, I was going to say. Well, um, I, I, when, when, you, when you first, when you, I heard you say 2073, I was thinking in 2073, I'll be, uh, spoiler alert, I'll be 96 years old and uh, finishing my second term as president of the United States. So <laughs> it's, it's, that's, that's where we will be in 2073, looking back to 2023. Yes, yes looking back at, at all that's transpired from there. Uh, no, I, I, I mean, the, just to, you know, peeling back the curtain a little bit. I mean, I, I mean, this year is when people, you know, do their best of, you know, like best, you know, photographs of the year, best stories of the year. That, Which that kind roll of call will win yes. all the best photographs of the year. We of should course. Know. Well, they usually do. Uh, at least we get our fair share, right? Um, but I, I wanted to do, I wanted to reframe this and think about, I mean, maybe I just have this on the brain of, of things for posterity because we've seen, you know, just in the last couple of days also, in addition to the, um, some of the deaths that I mentioned, we've, we've had, um, you know, things like Vice President Kamala Harris like uh, set the record for tie-breaking votes uh, in in the Senate. Um, you know, th- j- there are things like that that are a big deal, but I don't know that that's going to be in the encyclopedia. I, I don't know if the the robot who's writing news stories in fifty years will ask the historian robot <laughs> what the you know to to give them uh, uh, you know in, in uh, basically the top five uh, stories, but but I think that. There, there. This does feel like a big year. Um, it, it does feel like there was a lot that happened, um, and that we should sort of take note and also point out how it could continue to resonate in in the coming years. Yeah, I agree. It's it's always good to try to take a step back and we're, or or take a long step forward in order to look back. So yeah, let's do it. Um, and and I should I should note too that sometimes you know with hindsight you know we see that that a big story continued to resonate and maybe even got more important as the years went on. So Roe versus Wade was a big deal in 1973, but it just became more important. You know, I mean, the, the, um, you know, it, it seems as if, I mean, I, I remember reading about this. I, I, actually, it was a, our, our former colleague, Amanda Becker, who's writing a story or writing a book 
rather, uh, a long a set of stories, a uh, book about the post-Dobbs uh, decision world. And she uh, pointed out to me when, when, in one of our conversations that after the Roe versus Wade decision, uh, John Paul Stevens, who had been nominated by President Ford a couple of years later uh, to be a Supreme Court justice, was not asked about Roe versus Wade at his confirmation hearing. <laughs> uh, but now, yeah. now the it, it Roe just became the storyline for all abortion-related, um, you know, debate, and and it, you know. Was when it was overturned, we are st- still now dealing with the fallout of its overturning. Um, you know, Watergate. This is a huge story. I mean, Nixon started his first term in January or second term in January, rather, uh, and Watergate was just getting going. And by October, you know, he had fired you know Archibald Cox, a special counsel. He had you know he had had an attorney general resign. I mean, it was just this total mess. Uh, he also lost his vice president, Spiro Agnew, who had pleaded guilty to tax evasion. Um, and yeah, there's just these things that are, are really, they, they take hold, uh, in it. And I, and I feel like there are a few of those things. Let's, let's start with the big one. Um, you know, we found out before this podcast that Kevin McCarthy, the former speaker of the house, uh, will resign his, his seat before the end of the year. You know, this, this year sort of started with McCarthy, (laughs) Uh, with 15 rounds, you know, with the new Congress, 15 rounds, he had to go um, to to even get elected speaker because of the margins, you know, for the Republicans were not very high. He didn't have much of a cushion uh, and he was booted out of uh, by his colleagues, being the first speaker of the House booted uh, by his colleagues in October. Uh, we spent th- three weeks trying to figure out what was next and who would be the next speaker. And now it, it ends sort of with him, you know, saying, I've got better things to do than serve out my term. But I feel like that speaks to larger issues as well about what we're seeing in Congress. I guess it could it could go two different ways focusing on that on that news event, right? It could be, well, that set a precedent for other parties and other future Congresses, you know, ousting their speaker and going through that whole process. Or it could be it could stick out as a moment in history for it being an aberration, right? It, it being an exception rather than the rule. It's an asterisk rather than of the beginning of a trend. So I think either way that, that qualifies and we're still in the wake of that. Like, did that really happen? Uh, but yet at the same time, we're already hearing a little bit of grumbling about current speaker, Mike Johnson, right? That, well, we're not satisfied. They're not satisfied with how he's handling different aid packages or, or other pieces of legislation. So are Republicans going to go through that, you know, next year? Uh, it, it still remains to be seen, but feels like it's more likely to be, a history, a footnote as an aberration rather than a, a beginning of a trend. And I wonder that, I mean, that there's been more than one, you know, sort of political journalists or political th- theorists say, does this portend, you know, sort of the end of the Republican Party as we know it? Because McCarthy, even as conservative as some of his positions are, did represent a little bit more of a mainstream. I can still work with Democrats even when I'm, you know, kind of. Uh, calling them out publicly and so forth. He, you know, he raised a lot of money. He was like very chummy with the Chamber of Commerce and, you know, like what we think of as, as sort of traditional Republican, uh, you know, politics. And, you know, Johnson comes from a little bit more of the social, you know, kind of culture warrior thing. He doesn't have a big track record of raising a lot of money from Wall Street and 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 so forth. But I I wonder if like that's 
already over. And the, and this is really this is the party is becoming become a little bit more like Johnson and and Donald Trump, who we'll get to in a few minutes, uh, in terms of news events, than it'll ever be like McCarthy again. Yeah, fifty years is a long time. That that is a long time. You know, to then look back, the at least one of the parties could look very differently. Or when I was trying to think about this, will we look back at this time as oh, how quaint it was? Just a, basically an election between Democrats and Republicans, and where because of so much dissatisfaction with the two parties that there was that the appetite for a third party actually grew into something more significant that could be sustainable. I mean, that is, that's a very real possibility, not in the near term, I don't think, but you know, looking a generation <laughs> down the line that we look back and like, Oh, that was nice when it was just the two parties duking it out. I mean, it, I, I would be um, I would be thrilled if they would also take some of just the names of some of the old political parties that haven't made it. And kind of like when an NBA team moves, they keep their name. So like, you know, the Utah Jazz was they moved from New Orleans. It was the New Orleans Jazz. Salt Lake City, not known for its jazz, but they kept the name. Same thing with L.A., the Lakers, you know, it was the Minneapolis Lakers. That makes sense because Minnesota is the land of 10,000 lakes. Uh, I guess there's Silver Lake in Los Angeles, you know, where it's kind of the hipsters live and so forth. Uh, it's a great neighborhood, by the way. I love it. There, uh, I'm not making fun of it. Uh, but not LA, not known for its lakes. More of its, it's more of a beach town, uh, you might say. Uh, so I think I say we bring back bull known moose. more for its concrete. Yes, yeah. uh, the the bull moose story, the bull moose party, the wigs, the know nothings. That's one of my favorites. Uh, I think they should just recycle those instead of trying to come up with new party names. That's what I think for uh, for the XFL. They should just take uh, football football team names from movies and just try to put them all together in the same league. It's a merchandising a bonanza, an opportunity. But what do, what do I know? Uh, you know, this is this will be our second career. Actually, the the view from twenty seventy three. This will be the beginning of the the Gonzalez Dick sports fake sports merchandising empire. <laughs> rolls, it rolls off the tongue. I can I can see it. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I mean, I think that the, you know, it's, it's hard, it's hard to predict, you know, what this effect will be. I mean, I, I, when I talk to people who are not political journalists and I, and, and I know quite a few of them, I mean, it it usually is this thing like, oh yeah, McCarthy. Huh. It Um, seems like ancient history now. Yeah, I mean, it was it was you know low those two months ago, um, but I do think that this year has absolutely signaled what, what we may just keep an eye on. Maybe you know in, as as the years sort of unfold, too is is uh, that's our that's our homework assignment by the way uh, to keep an eye on these things over the next few years. Uh, is this felt very unstable from the, from the beginning of this Congress to where we're at at the end of the first session. Uh, there's a lot of instability. We've lost a month plus just over speaker battles. The the beginning of the year in, in January it took you know a couple of weeks to get McCarthy in, and then it took three weeks to get Johnson in. So, you know, <laughs> uh, you know that years are 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 comprised of finite time, uh, and and a month solid month of it was lost just to that. And we'll be go- We'll we'll be fifty years is also long enough to go through multiple cycles of you know democrats probably democrats having full control in terms of large majorities but then republicans having full control and large majorities and and you you 
don't have, I think, some of these speaker battles if one party has a, a greater margin for some of the the outliers, uh, as long as they don't change the rules in order to give a single member of the House power to vacate the chair. Right. Uh, but uh, but we're going to have there's just there's going to be such dramatic swings uh, over that period of time. Yeah. On another matter, this does feel like it will be relevant, uh, which uh, or or at least you know a, a, a episode of history that people will continue to to know about, which is that a former president of the United States, Donald Trump, was indicted in several different jurisdictions to the tune of ninety three different uh, criminal charges, um, in addition to the civil trials that he's he's uh, facing as well. Um, we'd never had a president. Uh, in, indicted before in, in in federal court. I mean, part of the reason for that is that Gerald Ford decided to pardon Richard Nixon uh, it, after Nixon had left office. So we that could have been uh, something that happened in uh, in in the seventies, uh, perhaps, but it didn't because Ford pardoned Nixon. Um, but this, I mean, this won't even be confined to this year because uh, the, these trials will stretch out into an election year, and then depending on what the outcome of the election is whether, you know, if, if Donald Trump is the president, we may see a situation where he pardons himself uh, if he has been convicted of crimes. If, if that's allowed, right, we'll find out. Hopefully, yeah, I, first of all, I, I agree that we will look back at this as, wow, what, <laughs> remember when that happened. But the question is, does it happen again meaning you know do and this could go either way hopefully we we don't have politicians who elevate to this level who, who get in that you know all sorts of trouble in the same way uh, on their own or that political parties start lo- using the legal and the, the court system and the justice department and stuff to to you know exact revenge or to settle political scores uh, and sadly we have to leave our mind our, our minds open to the possibility that this is the beginning of politicians in legal trouble running for office because the judicial system has become, you know, has just become an arm of the campaigns. And, right. you know, I, don't, I hope again, I hope these are aberrations rather than the beginning of trends when we're at, at in 2073. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, the, the previous night to the recording of this podcast, uh, Donald Trump did a uh, sort of televised town hall with Sean Hannity in Iowa, and you know Hannity asked him, you know, what he thought about, you know, like how he would answer, you know, critics who say that he's setting himself out to be a dictator, and you know, Trump didn't exactly give an answer that was unequivocally like, oh no, I will ob- obviously adhere to the vows that I make to uphold the laws and in, in, of the United States and the Constitution. He said maybe on day one. Right. And then so day one will be the dictatorship and then like the next day will be fine. You know, go back to the law rule of law. That that is the kind of thing that I think is, you know, this is this is something that a public figure, a former president of the United States said on television, uh, said for everyone to hear. And that I, I think you're right. I mean, the the ramifications of of what could come from the criminal trials, depending on what happens with him, depending on how he reacts to it, if he wins, is almost sort of incalculable to to try to at, the, at this point to say you know what will happen. And that's where we have to that comment. Uh, let's say you know I expect Trump to be the nominee. Let's say he wins and he 
you know, puts in motion all sorts of things, we will look back then at 2023 and say, well, that's, you all should have known that that was going to happen because he said yeah. that this is what he was going to do. And uh, so, yeah, that's a, this, that could be a, a key phrase that, that uh, unfortunately a, a key moment that could be remembered for years to come. Going back to the house, uh, the the house last week expelled uh, George Santos, a Republican freshman from New York, from Long Island uh, and Queens. Uh, Santos made a quite a name for himself uh, as lie after lie was exposed. You know, playing on college volleyball teams, being Jewish, like you name it, and the, the fraud you know that he has been accused of. Now he was not convicted. He's not been convicted of a crime. Uh, but an ethics, you know, committee report came out saying, you know, this they they this is bad, you know, like he has defrauded, you know, uh, people who gave him money for his campaign to buy to spend on himself, like on Ferragamo shoes and so forth. So the House expelled him. He only became the sixth member of the House of Representatives to be expelled by his colleagues. Hadn't happened since Jim Traficant in two thousand two. So you know, or two thousand yeah two thousand uh, and. And and so he was. He's also the first person expelled from the house by his colleagues who was not convicted of a crime or was part of the Confederacy. So, how how important do you think that is? Is that one of those precedents where we've already seen, particularly in the House, censure resolutions almost become meaningless because everybody keeps on filing censure resolutions because they don't like the cut of your jib, I guess. You know, uh, you know, like is this just going to become like the norm? You think? Not, but I think you know Santos was able to rack up a pretty. It, it was a combination of things, right? It was it was some specific legal financial issues, but it was also the resume issues, and there, there was a there were a lot of things circulating. And I'm I'm hoping that 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 is such a unique cocktail of wrongdoing <laughs> that it will be difficult to replicate, and then and thus difficult to get the bipartisan agreement that you need to expel a member of the house right those of people who are listening to this know that ex- expelling a member is not just a simple majority uh, you have to have two thirds uh, yeah you have to have two thirds at which probably is going to be in a bipartisan uh, you're going to need bipartisan support in order to to get that to get that done so i'm i'm hoping we look back at it as wow can you believe that this guy got elected and that he even lasted as long as what he did and you know, I I I tend to think that we'll remember Santos maybe not even so much for, you know, what the the malfeasance was, but just the fact that he was he became one of the few members of Congress to get to be the butt of you know Saturday Night Live jokes, <laughs> because it's I mean you you have to break through a certain amount of pop culture to be a joke in Saturday Night Live because they want people to laugh. They don't, they want people to understand who, who this is, uh, which is why, you know, the people most frequently lampooned on SNL are presidents because everybody knows who the president is. Very few people know or care who the Senate majority leader or the, you know, the, uh, associate, the, the, the most junior Supreme court justice or something like that, you know, but like the fact that Santos got a few, uh, you know, like sort of episodes with cold opens and so forth, uh, is I think speaks to his resonance. <laughs> and Santos will be remembered as the first founding father to be uh, expelled <laughs> from Congress. I don't know if you're aware that he was one of the founding fathers or not. He t- he told me he was. So, ah, I mean, I'm sure it's true. Yeah, just take it at face value. Um, 
So, I mean, again, not to not to leave the malfeasance, but I, I just I feel like I had to get this joke in, you know, just or this quip in, just because uh, our our colleague Herb Jackson, the uh, politics editor at Roll Call, uh, said it when I when I was musing about different other stories. Um, you know, I said, well, what about Senator, you know, Bob Menendez being indicted again? You know, he he was indicted before, you know, a few years back. Uh, he beat the rap uh, and, you know, got reelected. And now he's, you know, in the feds, you know, uh, indictment crosshairs again. And Herb kind of laughed and said, let's see. Man from New Jersey accused of corruption. I don't know if that's going to be something <laughs> <laughs> That's particularly newsy. Of course, he's joking. He's from New Jersey. If you if you all have not, uh, if you're listening to the podcast for the first first time, uh, but I, I maybe we'll look we'll look back and say, can you remember back then they didn't use gold bars as their currency? Like maybe in 2073 we'll be right. back to a gold bar based economy, and, and this will be seem funny that, yeah. that that was even a thing. Yeah, why wouldn't you still uh, you know put uh, gold ingots in your in your closet? Uh, so yeah, I, I tend to agree. That's you know a footnote at best. You know, I mean, again, not to I'm not trying to uh, uh, downplay the severity of the uh, charges. Uh, you know, people are innocent until proven guilty, but I can't imagine that this is going to have particular resonance for people in 2073. I, I would I would hope we were we're thinking about other things, but um, again, back back up. 50 years ago to us in 1973, um, the Yom Kippur War uh, led to sort of a scrambling in the in the Middle East, a, a redoing of, of the power structure in, in the Middle East. It was the first time, you know, that, uh, you know, in terms of the Israel was losing, you know, <laughs> uh, the, you know, in, in, in true danger in a conflict like this, they were still a little high off of the six day war and, and, you know, they had captured territory from some of the surrounding Arab states, you know, that sort of veneer of invincibility had been sort of punctured. Uh, the Yom Kippur war set off the oil embargo of 1973 that hiked energy prices that led to, you know, a, was a big contributing factor to global economy, stagflation, inflation, all kinds of, uh, you know, unhappiness with politicians. Uh, I, I think that that is a big thing from 50 years ago. I can't help but think also, though, that the war this year, the Hamas attack on Israel on October 7th and the ensuing war in Gaza has the potential to have a long, long-reaching effect too, particularly not just for whatever happens for the future of Israel and Gaza and the Palestinians, but we're seeing cracks in the Democratic Party and how they, uh, people in the Democratic Party and their coalition, are reacting to this. Let's talk a little bit about that. I I am hoping. I tried, despite some of my very jaded and pessimistic comments on this podcast over many episodes, I, I try to be an optimistic person, and I'm hoping that by the time we get to 2073, we will look back at 2023 as an extremely significant point for the Middle East, but also a low point. Like, wow, that was awful and terrible. <laughs> and everyone, things were, it was very volatile, but that in the ensuing 50 years, we started to figure, we, we were able to figure it out, right? And I'm not here to prescribe what that what that looks like, but that uh, that we were somehow able to come to a resolution geographically, politically, uh, that uh, hasn't been able to have been solved for the hundreds and even 
couple thousand years that we're able to figure that out and look back at this significant but um, very difficult time. And and the the not to just put it back in politics, you know, sort of small p politics here and in in DC, but you know, we've seen that right now as Congress is looking to get out of town, they are hung up on what form to send aid to Israel and to humanitarian assistance for Gaza, uh, whether it's coupled with a supplemental for Ukraine in its war against Russia, whether that's also thrown in things on border issues, you know, that, that, uh, and maybe aid to Taiwan, but the, the reaction on Israel, it, on, on the Hamas Israel war, it seems like the, the democratic party, which used to be, you know, sort of this, fairly rock solid support of Israel that there seems to be some cracks in that. And, and I don't know if it's generational so much, because on one hand you've got Bernie Sanders saying we should have absolutely have conditions on our aid, but it seems like a lot of particularly the youth vote in among in the democratic party is, is looking at this and saying, why are we giving this unconditional support, which Joe Biden seems to want to Israel when a lot more Palestinians are getting killed. I mean, it seems like there's a real potential for a fissure in the Democratic Party. And that fissure could become more, uh, it could be even greater here in the next few years because I think what's holding the Democratic Party together is is still probably Trump or the, the threat of Trump and the threat of a second term uh, for Trump. At some point, Trump will no longer be a part of the equation. That could be a year from now or five years from now or, or whatever it might be. But this conflict, Israel, Pal- Palestine, Hamas, I mean, that's probably going to endure. We got 50 years. Let's put 50 years to figure it out. But that's probably going to endure. And you can see that the Democrats have to go through what what is the direction what is the direction for the party if the parties get back to a point where issues matter, right? We're we're very we have parties focused more on personalities right now, particularly Republicans. But if they become more about issues, then this is something that Democrats are going to have to figure they're going to have to, it's going to be hard to be on one side of of that issue or hard to be on both sides of that, of that issue. What, what else, what are, what are we, what are we missing? Because, you know, it's, it's, I, I look at just the first three topics with McCarthy and the speaker drama and Trump and his indictments and, and Santos and 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 then you know throw in the war you know just for the last couple of months in in Israel, that's a lot of oxygen <laughs> yeah. for the news cycle. But what what else what else has the potential? You think? I think we could look back at the 20, you know, 2023 into twenty twenty four as can you believe that that the American people had voted between a seventy eight year old man and an eighty one year old man for president because. Of the constitutional amendment to uh, put an age limit on on serving as president, uh, I, you know, I think we could uh, you know look back at this at this election as wow, can you believe that happened? Because it was just it'll be almost unthinkable uh, by the time we get to fifty years. And and some of you might say, well, you can't you can't have an age limit. It's like, well, we have an age minimum, right? right. We, we've set we've set out constitutionally twenty five for the House, thirty for the Senate, thirty five for president. So if we're we're setting age minimums. Why is it out of out of unthinkable that uh, we would have a, a maximum? So that's I, I don't know. I'll, I'm going to throw that in the mix. What do you, tell me where I'm wrong, Jason? I, I don't I don't think you're wrong. And and I you know the the not, not to be morbid, but like thinking about the you know the 
the deaths, you know, that we've seen this year, most most of the most of them are are like you know people in their nineties, right? You know, like these, you know, O'Connor was ninety three, Kissinger was a hundred, Norman Lear, not a politician, but somebody who was involved in politics and advocacy, died just before we went on this podcast, one hundred and one years old. You know, Rosalind Carter was ninety six. I mean, the the so and you know, Diane Feinstein died. You know, like you know when you're when you're ninety plus. I mean, it that's that's just simply the you know the actuarial tables right i mean like there there's not there's that's not a surprise uh when when people die and i'm not trying to minimize the tragedy of it or the sadness of it but people in their 90s who die you know that's not that's that seems like kind of natural um that being said when you're in your 80s <laughs> And you're running for president, or if you're in your late 70s and would be in your 80s when you complete a, uh, your term, as Trump would be if he wins, I just can't help but think like is is with the country itself is kind of getting younger, right? I mean, like we're you know the, the or at least people that we have plenty of people available to serve in any in in capacities, and we do have age limits on other very sensitive you know, positions, you know, like whether it's, you know, police officers or firefighters, you know, they don't let 80 year olds run around, you know, like fighting fires, for instance. So, I, you know, when you think about how significant the job is with its adjacency to nuclear weapons and so forth, having somebody, you know, like I, I, I just can't help but think that in, in, as we continue to understand aging and the effects on, that that particularly a stressful job have on somebody that that will certainly be in 50 years people will be like wow that it was weird because they they had this thing where they they elected a few young people <laughs> from a you know from an earlier they went the opposite yeah. direction yeah they went from george hw bush to bill clinton and you know then you know george w bush and barack obama and then then trump and he wasn't that old but then they kept getting they just we're stuck in this loop, it seemed. Um, and I, I don't know. It's kind of like with term limits. You you would you would hope that people would, um, you know, the ultimate what did opponents of term limits say that the ultimate term limit is the voter itself. But like, the voters don't. It seems like we are in this like march where it's it doesn't seem like we have any other options but these two men who are. Just I mean, just listening. If you listen to either one of them at length, it can get quite painful. Yeah. Yeah. I. I, I think there's going to be, and maybe the voters will, the voters will correct that just themselves without any sort of constitutional mandate or, or maximum just saying, all right, we, we went down that route. We tried that route with a couple of different folks and that, that didn't work out. So we're, we're going to, we're going to be more mindful of, of uh, age when we're, when we're making these decisions for our, our officials. Well, and you know, last week when California Governor Gavin Newsom and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, DeSantis is running for running for president, of course, uh, but is trailing badly in the polls um, to to Trump, among others. Um, but you saw that debate as painful as it was to watch, and as unentertaining or as uninteresting as it was to watch for so much of it. That seemed like what. Like it, it sort of almost should be it, it, two two people sort of at the height of their powers, two term governors who are like ready to take the next step to run for president, 
not not somebody who spent a half a century, there's that number again, in the Senate or somebody who had an entire career in entertainment and real estate, you know, and is, you know, eligible, has been eligible for uh, Medicare for years now uh, to to be running for president. I just think like we can do better than that. Yeah, we'll see. We, we can. I don't know if we will, <laughs> but we, we can. There's, there's potential. Um, what else? Uh, you know that I th- now we just have to count how many how many World Series wins uh, over the next fifty <laughs> years we'll be we'll be reflecting on for the Nationals. But uh, no, I I think that it'll be fun. We should if podcasts exist back then we'll see who what somebody of how how accurate we are with twenty twenty three considering how important nineteen seventy three was. It was amazing to go to go through that list. But this could be a a bigger year than we realize because we're in the middle of it uh, right now. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, I, I got to say too, that we could have even done 60 years because, you know, 60 years ago, we've got another just incredibly like significant year. You have the assassination of John F. Kennedy. You have Martin Luther King's, I have a dream speech. You have the Birmingham protests and riots. I mean, it, it was huge. It was this huge uh, Kennedy's, you know, Berlin wall speech, uh, you know, just a huge, hugely significant. There's something about years, I guess that ended three <laughs> Um, but yeah, it, it, it seems like, um, you know, it's, it's, it's worth, it's worth keeping an eye on for, for this stuff. Um, and, and I appreciate you, uh, you know, talking through like yeah, some of it. Well, if, if, if we're, if we're accurate, hopefully everyone remembers this. And if we're not, then uh, we'll just, uh, burn the tapes, even though there aren't tapes yeah, anymore. I think, but, yeah, the, the, I think whatever server this is on, this will be on in 50 years. Cloud. Will been, yeah, it'll, it'll be, it'll have been shot into space at that point. <laughs> <laughs> With the rest of our trash. Right. Uh, Nathan, thank you so much. Uh, I know you've had a very busy day um, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time to, to go through the, go through a little time in uh, time travel historian uh, session with me. No problem. Always a pleasure. All right. And thanks out there for listening to political theater. Uh, please subscribe if you like us. Say nice things about us on the internet for as long as that internet exists. Maybe in 50 years there won't even be one. We'll just have it beam straight into our heads. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.